This is the podcast Surgery IC Rounds. My name is Jeff Guy. Today I want to talk about something that's unique for a uh, intensive care unit, and that is intraosseous vascular access. When we typically think of intraosseous access, we're usually thinking of children who are in extremis and typically maybe a pediatric advanced life support um, class. But intraosseous access is gaining more and more of a legitimacy in, in use in adults, particularly what we've learned in uh, the Iraq War. Uh, if you look at the number of um, uh, casualties that are inflicted to people rendering care under fire, uh, it's a significant problem. And certainly uh, starting intravascular access in somebody who's an extremist in, in a hostile environment is something that uh, is, puts the um, care provider at significant risk. We know from uh, previous investigations in um, civilian EMS systems that the time it takes to start a peripheral IV can sometimes be 8 or in excess of 10 minutes. Now, we can have an entire discussion on what is the role of starting uh, IV access in somebody following a traumatic injury, and that would be a separate podcast just in itself. But today I want to focus on obtaining, um, not vascular access, but obtaining access to administer IV fluids, blood, and medications in a crisis, in a current situation, and doing it with uh, a significant um, um, reproducible results and do it in a quick time. And intraosseous access has, has gained, as I said, that venue info adult. Uh, so much so that the uh, National Association of uh, EMS Physicians uh, in their journal, Pre-Hospital Emergency Care, uh, generated a position statement. And uh, the majority of what I'm going to uh, talk about today is, is coming from that uh, particular article. And that, that can be found in Pre-Hospital Care, um, Volume 11, pages 63 to 66. The intraosseous vascular access has a rather significant long history dating back as far as 1920s. And in those studies, uh, they actually used the sternum as a potential site in which to administer transfusion. Uh, after they uh, initially made these descriptions of the transfusion of uh, autologous blood, then they actually talked about using the marrow space for the uh, administration of intravenous fluids. This led to further investigations and uh, the use of the intraosseous route uh, to be used with success for military personnel during World War II. And they used the intraosseous access as far as, as in World War II to provide vascular access to patients in who IV cannulation was either difficult or delayed. After World War II, the use of intraosseous access rapidly declined, and it was not really until the 1980s that the IO made a, a reappearance, and that was in a non-combat uh, clinical environment for the treatment of children. And in 1988, based on significant experimental and clinical experience, the IO access became a recommended standard in the American Heart Association's Pediatric Advanced Life Support. Now, currently, there are really three types of techniques of delivering intraosseous access, or three different types of, of methods of uh, introducing the IO needle. Uh, that's the manual uh, um, method of just a strong arm and a lot of turning. There's an impact-driven, and then there's a power drill. The impact methods have been around for some time, and this includes the Illinois sternal needle, the um, uh, Jajamdi needle, and basically these are uh, hollow needles that have steel trocars that are removed once the um, um, needle is placed uh, into the bone, and that prevents the bone fragments from occluding the lumen. There is a one impact-driven technique that's uh, called a fast wang needle, and this is a um, uh, spring-loaded uh, device that uh, allows the um, needle to be uh, fired into the sternum uh, once you've stabilized it. And this has uh, some safety uh, to, uh, designs that prevent the needle from uh, accidentally being employed to the operator or even penetrating through the sternum, which you can certainly imagine would not be a good thing. The estimated time for preparation and insertion is estimated about 50 seconds. So you're talking about a very rapid placement of one of these catheters compared to what it would take to put an intravenous catheter in, particularly under tactical conditions where one might be rendering care under fire.
Another impact-driven device, this is called the bone injection gun. This uses another spring-loaded injector, and this time it fires the I.O. needle into the medullary space of the tibia, which is probably the site of I.O. insertion that most uh, providers are uh, accustomed to. Again, because this is our first introduction to intraosseous catheters, typically comes from our PALS course. The estimated time from preparation to insertion uh, using the um, um, uh, bone injector gun is 17 seconds. Now, according to the textbook on pediatric advanced life support, um, they uh, state there is a potential for an operator uh, to injure the patient if the device is accidentally uh, fired or mistargeted. Uh, a recently developed uh, device, which is the I.O. device that I have most experience with in adults, is called the Easy I.O. Now, this uses a handheld uh, battery-operated drill to insert the I.O. at the proper depth. This requires less than 10 seconds of uh, time to insert it. Uh, and uh, is uh, easily removed. Now, I've said that the site most commonly uh, thought for use of intraosseous access in both children and adults is the proximal tibia. You do this just medial and inferior to the anterior uh, tuberosity. Um, basically, you fill the tibial tuberosity about two finger breadths down, and medially is that flat portion of the tibia. Uh, if you insert uh, the uh, needle into this area, you're inserting into a, a large and richly vascular medullary space. Also, the cortical bone of this area is thinner and less dense, which certainly makes placement of the interosseous needle uh, certainly more simple and uh, less difficult. But as I've said, there's certainly other sites you can put this in, the sternum, uh, as well as the humeral head. I've got no personal experience with the humeral head. My experience with the sternum is removing these uh, from people who have been uh, brought in from a pre-hospital setting. There are certain devices uh, that uh, help with uh, the removal of the uh, sternal uh, needles. Uh, I've seen one patient uh, where we've actually had to go to the operating room to remove the uh, uh, sternal needle after uh, the uh, um, IV catheter, uh, excuse me, after the uh, catheter attaches to the needle became disattached, uh, became unattached. Now clearly when it comes to inserting these, you want to do this under an aseptic technique as you would for any kind of uh, invasive procedure. Um, and you might need some strength to insert some of these more manual and impact driven uh, devices. Wasteman in the Journal of Trauma in 1997 recommended that when you're using these for adults that you should perhaps consider some lidocaine. That would seem be reasonably self-evident if you're driving a needle through somebody's bone, but you have to also wonder, you know, in what circumstances are you putting intraosseous needles? Are these patients who've had uh, significant trauma or in cardiac arrest? And then the idea there of inserting uh, this on, on only after application of lidocaine seems perhaps a tad ridiculous. If a patient's conscious uh, and alert, you have to question whether they really need to have an IO needle placed uh, at all. And here's what's really key about IO. Uh, access. We've told you that it takes about 10 to 15 seconds to place these, and they can be placed under reasonably hostile uh, and austere conditions. But the key is in this is that this, um, um, these devices can be uh, inserted uh, um, by paramedics. And uh, Dubik in military medicine in 2000 uh, said that you basically pointed out that you, after a one-hour lecture followed by a one-hour of hands-on experience, uh, is considered sufficient training to um, uh, train individuals at the paramedic level to insert these catheters. Now let's talk about the success rate, and then after we talk about the success rate and some of the limitations, I'd like to go back and editorialize about these catheters versus what we're seeing currently in pre-hospital settings, because clearly in the really complicated trauma patient or somebody coming in by um, um, uh, helicopter, we're seeing a large number of patients coming in with central lines that are placed in the helicopter and in the field, and those certainly aren't with their limitations. Uh, you know, um, it takes some time, but we've seen a significant amount of injuries 
with uh, uh, central venous catheters, femoral catheters, placed in the back of a helicopter. Now, successful, uh, successfully achieving intraosseous vascular access is really pr- uh, predicated on the appropriate identification of the anatomical landmarks. Remember, we said identify the tibial tuberosity, go somewhat inferior to this, go somewhat medial, um, and you're going to be at that flat part of the tibia where the cortical bone is more thin and it's richly vascular. The correct application of the device in the absence of factors preventing the reaching of the marrow space, such as people who are morbidly obese. One study examining EMT basics. Okay, we're not talking paramedics, we're talking basic EMTs using sternal access device found that the initial placement was as low as 55%, although 93% were ultimately successful. And that was reported by Miller in uh, Pre-Hospital Emergency Care in 2005. David Off and Gems in 2005 reported of a multi-center trial using the I.O. device, the easy I.O. This is the battery-operated drill. And they had a 97% success rate of placement with uh, um, fluid administration. Subsequent work by the same author uh, found that um, successful I.O. placement of 94%, again by basic EMTs, providing the uh, easy I.O. drill. And all this was done on the first attempt. Fiorito in Pediatric Critical Care Medicine in 2005 reported a pediatric critical care transport study, and they noted a requirement of 1.2 intraosseous vascular attempts per patient, with the first attempt success rate about 78%. So in, in children, they're not reporting as high of a success rate as some of these other papers reporting in adults. Finally, one needs to consider how to obtain intravascular access in austere conditions where one might be wearing um, uh, tactical gear or uh, protective garments such as that might be used in chemical warfare. And um, uh, Ben Abraham in the Academies um, of uh, Emergency Medicine showed that when providers were wearing um, um, protective garments in uh, chemical warfare, more attempts were required. Now, when vascular access is indicated, clearly intravascular access is the preferred route. However, if an intravenous line cannot be rapidly placed or the time required to place an intravenous line could compromise patient care, the intraosseous route should be considered. In certain patients, IO access may not be practical. For example, in an obese patient, the needles may not be long enough to reach the marrow space. Some combative patients may hinder vascular access. Such patients may benefit from the IO placement rather than IV access because the IO access requires less precise placement. The need for ongoing chest compressions may be a factor in determining the appropriate I.O. site. Clearly, somebody who is getting CPR and and chest compressions, you're not going to be able to place this into the sternum, and you're going to be going to a tibial site. In contrast, patients with significant uh, lower extremity trauma or amputations, you're not going to be able to uh, uh, put an intraosseous needle uh, in the uh, traumatic site or the traumatized limb. General contraindications to intraosseous placement include fractures at or above the chosen I.O. site, previous surgery involving the bone at the I.O. site, an infection at the site, and local vascular compromise. Now, there are specific contraindications that depend on the chosen intraosseous site. Contraindications to sternal I.O. placement include previous sternotomy, a suspected sternal fracture, and and cardiac arrest. And clearly, this is uh, um, with the new CPR guidelines I talk about, uh, not with the holding compressions. Contraindications to uh, extremity I.O. uh, access include suspected fractures at or above the chosen I.O. site on the affected extremity, and previous orthopedic surgical procedures in the area of the surgeon, such as a total knee replacement. So if you're pulling back the um, uh, you're cutting the uh, leg of a um, cutting the jeans off of a victim and notice that long uh, uh, surgical scar. Somebody's had a uh, uh, knee replacement. That's going to render that site uh, uh, contraindicated. 
the flow rates that you're going to achieve with an I.O. vary really depending on the age and anatomy of the patient, the insertion site, and the use of uh, perhaps a pressure pump or a pressure bag. Flushing the needle um, after insertion is recommended to improve the, uh, improve the flow rate. Now, there have been pharmacokinetic studies that have uh, evaluated how quickly um, uh, administered medications uh, through an I.O. site make um, uh, their appearance in the central circulation. And these studies have shown um, uh, similar uh, physiological effects and serum drug levels when comparing the intraosseous intravenous uh, route. Any currently approved medication or blood product that can be infused intravenously can be safely infused by the, via the I.O. route. An exception to this may be the use of hypertonic saline for small volume resuscitation and hemorrhagic shock, particularly in a military-type setting. There are very few complications that have been reported uh, in association with I.O. access. Listen to this. In more than 4,200 cases of I.O. access in children, osteomyelitis occurred only in 06 and usually only if the effusion continued for a prolonged period of time or if the patient had a bacteremia at the time of insertion. In a prospective 250-patient multicenter study of the power drill, this is the EZIO, no observed cases of osteomyelitis, fat embolism, fracture, infection, extravasation, or compartment syndrome were found. I think it's that complication of uh, osteomyelitis is what... Uh, really um, inhibits most people from um, liberally using the I.O. device. And clearly with these studies, we, with these two studies, um, there's certainly a, a very low incidence of uh, osteomyelitis. Now, this is not something you're going to leave, uh, you're going to place uh, in the trauma bay or the emergency room or upon a mission to the surgical intensive care unit or even in the helicopter and leave in for two, three, four, five days. This is a device that you're going to be able to rapidly obtain access for, provide your resuscitation as you need to, you can give what medications and fluids and blood that you need, and then insert the central venous catheter under much more uh, sterile conditions. I'm still amazed by the number of central venous catheters that are inserted in, in the back of helicopters, um, uh, as, as well as emergency departments, as part of resuscitation lines uh, in acute traumatic situations. Certainly by now, we have all been um, barraged uh, of the uh, CDC's criteria uh, for appropriate placement of central venous catheters to decrease uh, central venous catheter infections and associated bloodstream infections. These include things like full, um, full gowns for the operator, hat mask, uh, chlorhexidine prep, full body drapes, and so forth. And these standards are not being followed um, for emergency placement of central venous catheters. Uh, if, you, if anyone tells you that they are for an emergent trauma patient or a patient who's crashing in the surgical ICU, I honestly believe people are fooling themselves. It, it, that's not really what's happening. You can see by the data presented uh, above that uh, for you know, intraosseous catheters, if somebody comes in and they're an extremis or they lose a central venous catheter, you can uh, uh, place an IO catheter in, in less than 20 seconds, obtain access that will allow rapid administration of fluid, blood, and medications basically take control of the situation and then uh, put your central venous catheter um, uh, in under much more sterile and controlled circumstances. There is an expression that they used to use uh, during the Civil War and, and that the generals used to talk about, and it was never let the enemy choose your battlefield. And I think that that some degree comes into play when we talk about doing procedures such as central venous catheter. A patient comes in, they're an extremis, um, you know, we can place an intraosseous catheter or intraosseous needle, resuscitate the patient, get to where we need to be, and put the more invasive central venous catheter, certainly the procedure that has a higher morbidity associated with it, and do that under much more controlled circumstances.
The other thing that's important to point out by intraosseous uh, catheters is that this, in most states, is under the scope of practice of a paramedic. Certainly that could be, should be considered for something. What about an intensive care unit or surgical ICU nurse? That, that if a paramedic, after one hour of training and one hour of hands-on, has, has excessively obtained this skill, what about a patient who's in the intensive care unit and they're on two or three vasopressors and all of a sudden, for some reason, people lose access? Why sit there and try to struggle and immediately put a central venous catheter in a sub, uh, subclavian vein? Uh, uh, catheter and somebody who's hypotensive and try to do that rapidly. What are the complications associated with that? Either causing this patient a pneumothorax or a vascular uh, injury. Why not just replace the uh, vascular access with an easy IO catheter? Uh, uh, restart your medications and take your time and put your central venous catheter in under much more controlled circumstances. And uh, that's clearly a, a position that we're trying to go. I've actually obtained one of these EZIO catheters uh, for our uh, burn ICU and uh, have taught the residents uh, how to use the EZIO. And in my position, I think it's a skill set that the nurses uh, should use just for that scenario, that if somebody loses access, particularly in a burn patient, they're 30 liters positive, um, they're difficult access to gain they're difficult to gain access in under a controlled circumstance that if we need rapid access, we can put an easy IO in the patient and then take our time and place uh, a more controlled central venous catheter once we have more experienced operators at the bedside. That's it for this podcast. My name is Jeff Guy. Visit our website. It's www.burndoc.com. Thank you and have a good day.